that is that Sir Joseph? You don't really know the story, do you? Because you were brought in by the Midianites. You were sold. Let's put my pen here a little while. Let me. All right, let me back up. So Pharaoh has this dream, and he sees seven cows come out of the Nile, and these are big cows, and they're fat. And then seven scrawny little cows come out, and the big cows, they eat the little cows, but they don't get any bigger. And Pharaoh wakes up, and Pharaoh is disturbed. And when Pharaoh is disturbed, Pharaoh's house is disturbed. And when Pharaoh's house is disturbed, I get called. Then Pharaoh goes back to sleep, and he has another dream. And there are six to seven stalks of grain. And they're big, and they're plentiful, and they've got all kinds of grain on them. And then there's still more, and they eat the, the big ones, and they're still scrawny. Pharaoh says, everybody up. They get me. You go. And you get all the wise men and the religious leaders and the soothsayers and the magicians and you get them in my chambers now. I'll sleep. Nobody sleeps. So I come and Pharaoh tells his dream and they sit there and go, wow, that was a bad dream. It could be worse. It could have been me that had the bad dream. And that was the wrong thing to say to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is furious, and, and the magi they don't, and the wise men, and the magicians, and the religious leaders, and they don't want to outright lie to Pharaoh like they normally do, because this time Pharaoh's taking it seriously. And then one of them says, wait a minute. The cupbearer, he talked about a dream. Well, get him, wake him up. Get him here. So the, the head cupbearer comes before Pharaoh and he's trembling. Oh, yes, my Lord. So what is this about? You had a dream. They tell me you had a dream and somebody, somebody figured it out for you. Well, I hate to bring this back to your attention, but you did throw me in jail with the chief baker. And we were there and we didn't know whether or not you were going to kill us or not. If you were to kill us, it would have been fine. Don't get me wrong. But we had these dreams in prison, and there was this Joseph guy, and he was in prison, but the jailer had made him kind of overlord, because he was lazy, the jailer was. And they made Joseph, and Joseph did a great job with, with, with everybody taking care of us, and, and so we told the dream, and he said, well, you know, this is your dream. In three days, uh, um, uh, Pharaoh's going to lift you up, and I'm going to put the wine glass in your hand. And the baker told his dream about how the birds were on his head and eating the baker, eating all the goods, and Joseph said, uh, your, uh, your dream doesn't end up so well. Your head gets lifted up, and you're going to be hanged, and then the birds are going to um, <clears throat> enjoy you on the on the noose. And that's what happened. So Pharaoh said, you get Joseph in here and see if he can figure out my dream. So they brought Joseph in and well, it took a while because he was in prison, so they had to clean him up and they had to shave his head and they had to put him in a decent robe and finally they get him in Pharaoh's court and and he's 
And the Pharaoh says, you will interpret my dream. And Joseph says, no one can interpret dreams, only God can interpret dreams. But tell me your dream and God will provide the interpretation. Not the right thing to say to Pharaoh. You don't want to sell yourself short. Of course you can interpret dreams. Boy, didn't know anything. But he goes in there and he's told the dreams and he says, the dreams are, are one. The seven cows and the seven stalks of, of grain, they're one dream. For seven years, the land will produce abundantly. There will be plenty throughout the land. But after seven years of really good harvest, there's going to be seven years of famine and that wind is going to come in and scorch the ground and nothing will grow. God has given Pharaoh this dream to save the people from starvation and extinction. What you should do is put someone that you trust, someone that you can count on to oversee all the lands, to gather, build more barns, gather in all the grain for seven years. Make sure you tax the heck out of the people. Gather it all in. And then after seven years during the famine, Egypt will be spared the effects. And Pharaoh does something rash that Pharaoh never does. Pharaoh says, you're the guy. I'm putting you in charge. Now everybody else was pretty ticked. So for the next seven years, there's actually really good food, right? But they're saying, you know, this guy just made it up, right? He's in jail. He'll say, anything to get out of jail you chump and you bought it and then the religious leaders come in and they say wait a minute he talked about his god who is this god pharaoh you're a god of your own you're amazing and egypt has other gods and they're powerful and if this Guys, God is so powerful, how come his lands are going to be subject to famine? He's pulling your chain. Seven years, Pharaoh has watched Joseph have all of this power, and suddenly he's thinking, man, what if I've been duped? How do I live this down? Heads will roll. So I have to say, after seven years of plenty, Pharaoh actually was in a pretty good mood when the famine started. Oddly enough. Because he hadn't been duped. And now he had to figure out, what does he do with this God question and this famine? In that brief interlude, several years have passed. I know it didn't feel that way. But if in the Lord's sight a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day, God can do anything, there it is. If you're young, you can already retire. Okay, there it is. All right, 
So now something really fun has happened. Joseph is in charge of all of the grain that's going out, and the famine is worse than even Pharaoh thought it would be. And the famine isn't just in Egypt. Famine's everywhere, and no one has grain, and no one has food. And in come these brothers. And Joseph takes one look at them and says, Oh, they look familiar. But now Joseph is Egyptian by this time, his head is shaved, and he's in a dress, and he's got on the perfume, and you know his head is, is nice and bronzed, and he's got, the, he's got all the stuff that Pharaoh does, and he doesn't look anything like a Hebrew. So his brothers come up, and they don't recognize him. Now, these are the same brothers who threw him in a pit. And they talked about whether they were going to kill him or not, and the alternative to killing him was to sell him into slavery. Neither one of these are all fun to listen to when you're in a pit. These are those brothers, okay? Just to remind you of who they are. And they come and they go seeking for grain, and Joseph questions them through an interpreter. He's speaking Egyptian, and then some interpreter speaking Hebrew back to these people. He's pretending. He's, he's doing it really well. I mean, the guy's learned a lot in a few years. So tell me about your father. Is your father still alive? Have you any other brothers? They're going, these are really weird questions. We have money. We just want some grain. So he gives them grain, and then he says, put all of the money back in the pouches so that they have the grain plus the money. And then evidently they got home, and their father was like, um, you came home with the grain, but you stole it, right? You realize the famine's going to last a little bit longer. It looks really, really bad. No, no, I swear we paid it. He says, but he said we couldn't come back unless we brought our younger brother. Now, there are all these brothers, but only two of them were sons of Rachel. The others were sons of Leah. And Jacob, Israel, loved Rachel. So Joseph and Benjamin are the only sons of Rachel. And Joseph wants to see his brother, to see if they've treated him the way they treated himself. So he told them, don't come back unless you've got your brother, because I think you're spies. So they come back, all right, I mistold the story. Doesn't matter, you probably don't remember anyway. We'll pretend that what I told you is true. It's close enough. They come back a second time, and he invites them in for a feast. And he says, Come dine with me. Come dine with me. This is, this looks like fun. And they had brought in Benjamin, the youngest son. And he gives him a feast, and Benjamin gets fed from his own table, his own plate, and he gets five times what everybody else gets. Of course, paybacks. And then he sends them on their way, and he says, put the money back in their bags again, only this time. This time. Put the golden chalice that I drink from and put it in Benjamin's pouch. And then wait till they're a couple hours out of Egypt, and then chase them down. And then 
threaten to kill the one who has the chalice and see what they do. So that happens, and they chase him down, and they bring him back, and they all fall down before Joseph. They all fall down. And that was Joseph's original dream that really got him in trouble, remember? There are seven stocks, and your stocks will bow down to me and my stock, which that's what got the brothers all angry to begin with. And one of the brothers said, Judah, said, take me, make me a slave. I'll be a slave for you, but please, it will bring my father down to Sheol if he loses his other son. And Joseph weeps, kicks everybody out and says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. I'm the one you sold into Egypt. But it wasn't you that sold me into Egypt. God sent me to save lives. So give yourself a break. Go back, tell my father I'm alive, and come back, and you shall inhabit the best of Egypt. See that I am second only under Pharaoh, and you'll live in bounty and plenty in this land. And that's what happens. All right, first person's over. That's what happens. Now, would you have done that, or would I have done that? I'd like to think that I would have done that. I'd like to think that my irritability towards my brothers wouldn't have gone beyond that, but I'm not quite sure that's true. I certainly wouldn't have held it against Benjamin. I wouldn't have held it against my brother and my dad and my mom. But the other brothers, they could live in the ghettos just fine. Jacob himself stole his own brother's birthright, tricked him out of the blessing. He's no moral compass to stand by. Joseph is the real hero here. I mean, of the three, the, you know, the Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph is the fourth. He shows the best character of all of them. It's interesting, the 12 sons of Israel, and there's 12 tribes, but they don't exactly line up with the sons. Joseph doesn't have a tribe, which I find interesting. He's the most important person in this story to this point, but he doesn't end up with a tribe. So what's God doing in this story? What's God doing? Sitting there, eating bonbons. Did God cause the famine or did God simply say, the famine's come and be ready? story doesn't tell us, okay? So you could shout it out and be right or wrong and no one's going to know. These are the questions that you should jump to answer because there aren't any right answers. You don't know? No thoughts whatsoever? Okay. Didn't think it caused a famine. Knew it was coming? Said the famine's coming. Did God cause the famine? Anybody believe that God caused the famine? 
You are good people. I like it. Seriously. I mean, God might have caused a, I mean, God caused a famine insofar as God creates wind and God creates you know, everything else, but did God say, hmm, I think I'm going to whip a little hurting in the Mediterranean for the next seven years. Watch people die. I mean, this is, if you read the Left Behind series, I know I'm going far afield, but I just can't help it. It's too, it's too good. Um, you know, the rapture and, and whatnot. And you've got all these Christians, right? So this Christian is like flying a plane, and suddenly there's no pilot because he gets raptured away. Everyone else just dies in smoke. Isn't this just the God that you say, right on, that's the God I worship. That's the God I think is worthy of praise. It's a little silly at times. So you don't believe that God caused a famine. Did God send Joseph? We talked about this a little bit last week. You did, you, yeah. So there's that reading, and I, I'm, it could be absolutely right. God could have caused a famine so that they would know God was God. It's an interesting time in the world, though. Okay, We believe in one God, but at this point in, he, in the tradition of the Hebrews, they didn't actually believe in one God. They believed in one true God, amidst all these other, they wouldn't have denied that the Amorites had their own God and the Hittites had their own God. They just weren't, they were wimpy, wimpy, hefty, hefty, you know, little things, little deities. It's called henotheism in philosophy or theology. Monotheism is there's only one God. That doesn't happen until about the time of Isaiah, which is, which is much, 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 much later. But the idea was that you've got this one God, your true God is not only God of your little area, but God over everywhere. And at the time, that's a radical idea. And in our world today, it's a radical idea that the God that we worship as Christians is the same God that other people worship in the ways that they worship. Do we believe that? Are they worshiping, are the Hindus worshiping other gods? Are the Jews worshiping another god? Are, are, there, are there lots of, do we believe, are, are there lots of gods? Like the, they, or there's just one? Come on, shout it out. You could be wrong. You could be right. I created you and then you created me. That's, that's not far from the truth. That's absolutely not far from the truth. But if you go to the first commandments, what's the first commandment? No. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. It didn't say there are no other gods. It says no other gods before me. Do we still believe that? Or, I mean, we still should believe that because we have lots of gods. Let's, let's be honest. Our money, our wealth, our health, our beauty, our prestige, these are all gods that we worship in our own little sick, twisted ways. I count myself among them. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And we all hold on to them and feel like they all fail us. We all end up as dust. 
We all end up, see, isn't it a happy sermon? Aren't you glad you came today? Boy, that was an uplifting. We're all dust. Thank you for that happy message. I'm going to go home feeling really good. Thank you so, so very, very much. These stories, I love these stories because these are ways, telling these stories are ways of people figuring out who they are, who God is, and who they are going to be. I love these stories not because they happened half a way around the world to people that have been long dead and dressed funny and smelled poorly, but because they're trying to figure out who they are as they stand before God. My brothers threw me in a pit. God may have sent me there or sent me there so that I could, you know, however I look at that, I believe that God did it so that everybody would be rescued from famine. Do we believe that God loves those who we don't necessarily like as much as God loves us? I asked this since my last congregation, and one guy said, Seriously? Why am I here? <laughs> you know, it's like if I don't get extra juju in God's eyes by being here, I'm out of here. I could be watching football. <laughs> and that's what we're up against. I mean, it's an easy sell if I say, you know, Connie, if you don't come to church, it's time in purgatory for you, girl. Connie's got a good reason to show up because she's delaying or she's eliminating future uncomfortability in a place with no air conditioning, and it's not on the coast with nice, sweet ocean breezes. But once you believe that God is a God that loves everybody, that's a harder sell to get people here, as the numbers clearly show. And yet I think our message in a world where people are looking for ways to hate one another and reasons to kill one another is the only message that will save this world. We worship a God who loves everybody. Loves them when they do horrible things, wishes they didn't, but loves them and saves them from famine just like saves us. And we have lots of choices on the basis of that. The good news for me in this story is Joseph does the right thing. If you read this story, Joseph looks like a wimp. He's always bawling. I mean, if you look at the story, this is one of those sensitive kids that gets picked on. There's a reason his brothers threw him in the pit. To begin with, if he was at school, he would have been bullied. This is another good reason for handgun control. Because this is also the kids who take out their frustration and their anger on others. Don't be confused. But he never lost his love. He never lost his love for his father, his brothers, and he gave them a chance. He said, I want to love you, but I'm not going to love you until you show me you've repented of the way you were with me. 
And the way you're going to show me is I'm going to give you an opportunity to either sell out your brother Benjamin or do the right thing. And they do the right thing, and he says, awesome. Come on home. That's the God we worship. That's a God of good news. That's exactly what Jesus does. Could have called down 10,000 angels, but I ain't doing it. Violence begets violence. Hate begets hate. It has to end somewhere. I love you this much. And that's good news.